Welcome to Sunspotting, the show where we discuss the personal stories, lives, and hobbies of the people you see every day at CSUN. I'm your host, Jed Bookout. Today's episode is about Brian Zamora. So when I got to uh, CSUN, I, um, I changed from poli-sci to, to, to an art major with my emphasis in photography, and that's what my plan was at the time. And uh, that's where things kind of like went off the rails a little bit. What do you mean? Uh, so that, that's when I got sick. That's Brian Zamora. He's a 30-year-old business major at CSUN. He's a photographer, and he used to be a poli-sci major. One of the most important things you need to know about him is that he's alive. Every single subject we featured on this show is still alive. That in and of itself isn't particularly interesting on a show about the lives of living people from CSUN. What makes Brian Zamora's story particularly important to hear is the amount of times he was almost prevented from telling it. Most people want to be a millionaire by the time they're 30. Brian Zamora just hoped he'd be alive. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's back up a little bit. By his own estimation, Brian had a pretty average childhood. He grew up, was an average to below average student in school, went to Moorpark Community College, and did even worse there as a poli-sci major. It was just an intro class that I took, and the professor that I, that I took it with was incredibly tough. But I, I liked the way that he challenged uh, the class, and in a way, because I, I, I took that as a personal challenge too. Something like this would discourage almost every other student from taking more classes in a subject. Brian Zamora, though, isn't like every other student. Professors are, are, are exceptionally tough with, with, with the way they teach it, but they're actually, but they're also very um, captivating with how they say it. I, I'm really drawn to that. So that intro to Poli Sci Professor, um, he really, I don't know, captured me in the subject. And I didn't do that well in the class. I only got a C. But what was frustrating is that I felt like I understood the material and I was interested in the material. So even though I only got a C in the course, it, it sparked my interest enough to like want to find out what the other courses like entailed. and. What I ended up doing was that every other political science class that was there at the, at the college that he taught, I took it with him again. So there was a, there was a semester where I took three, three of his classes in the same semester and all very like writing intensive classes and a lot of reading and a lot of, um, I guess, critical thinking was, was involved in each one of them. So it was, it was challenging, but I, I enjoyed it. This dedication led to him working hard to get his GPA to a uh, not necessarily outstanding number, but a good enough number to transfer to a university. CSUN wasn't his first choice. Unfortunately, Brian wasn't most other schools' first choice either. Still, he was accepted into at least three schools, and he ended up choosing CSUN due to the culture and the proximity to his house. I transferred to CSUN fall of 2012. I completed my associate's degree at Moorpark College um, in December of 2011. So I just took a couple extra classes for the spring of 2012 there and then just waited to transfer here. Uh, so the reason I transferred to CSUN is because I, well, it's close. Like I said, you know, I live in Simi Valley, so it's 20 minutes from my house also in the opposite direction. It was at CSUN that Brian decided to reinvent himself and change majors. Instead of poli-sci, the major he had stubbornly worked through simply for the challenge, he became a photographer. When we met for our interview, he was wearing a hat that said Brian Zamora Photography. So I asked him about it. Shooting for uh, almost 10 years now. Uh, it's just been really tough to get it off the ground. So I've gone through the whole hassle of 
starting a website, getting hats made, business cards, and I've done, you know, a few gigs, but it's not consistent enough to the point where I can just drop everything and just go off whatever I'm being booked for. So it's it's been very challenging for me. So I, yes, I'm a photographer, but getting work is, is tough. So if he started CSUN in 2012 when he was 23 years old, what's been taking so long? I got this uh, CSUN. I, um, I changed from poli-sci to... To, to an art major with my emphasis in photography and that's what my plan was at the time and uh, that's where things kind of like went off the rails a little bit. What and, do you mean? Uh, so that, that's when I got sick. Brian's putting what he went through lightly. I'll let him explain what happened for himself. My first semester here at CSUN was fall 2012 um, and you know I think the semester started late August like it usually does and then in mid-October, I was uh, I was really sick. I woke up one day and I was just I felt all these symptoms, you know, all at once. I had a headache. Uh, I was dizzy, nauseous. You know, my chest was hurting. I felt my heart was gonna explode out of my chest. So um, I just I don't know. For a second, I didn't think that anything was really wrong. I just felt whatever was happening would you know go away. And after about an hour, uh, my mom was just telling me like, No, you need to go to the hospital. So, you know, I, I went, we went to the hospital, and I went to a free clinic, and they said they didn't have any doctors on staff. It was a Saturday. So they told me I needed to go to the hospital, and told me the, the, the closest one was in Santa Paula because they, I didn't have insurance, and I was just like, I'm not going to drive all the way out there. And I just went to my local hospital and see me, and I told them that I was feeling sick, and they, they took me in almost immediately because I told them I had a, a, a chest pain. So within a minute of me being there, they took me in and hooked me up to an IV machine, started drawing blood, started doing all these tests on me, and they started giving me fluids, and I started feeling better. So I was just like, all right, well, I got to go to work tonight. I'll let me get out of here. And they told me that, I, that no, you need to wait. So they, they, uh, they did more tests, including something called a, a bone marrow biopsy, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Uh, a bone marrow biopsy is basically where they take a pretty long needle and they kind of just ram it right into the back of your hip. And the whole purpose of it is to extract bone marrow and a piece of your hip bone. So that, that, that stuff gets sent to a pathologist and they run tests on it. I didn't know what it was for at the time, but it turns out it's, you know, to test for cancer. So that was that same night on Saturday. And a couple days later on Monday, October 22nd, and I know it's weird, but I remember all these dates. Just you know, it's, it's important time, I guess. Um, so on Monday, October twenty second, two thousand twelve, uh, I was eating lunch, and the doctor comes in for his regular round just to check up on me. And then he he gets a phone call, and you know, he spends a few minutes on the phone. He comes back into my room, and then he kind of just told me like, like you have leukemia. And then I didn't know what that was, but then like a few seconds later. He says it's it's blood cancer. That's why I'm I'm 30 years old and you know still coming here. And just like that, life stood still for Brian. When I asked him how this affected his schooling, well, it it kind of just stopped because like I was in the middle of a semester and I just had to drop out. Attempts to further return to CSUN have been aggravated by issues with FAFSA, who see Brian on paper as a student that simply never finished a semester. All of his schooling since has been out of pocket. So financial aid has since been away, and I've been paying for every semester that I've been here, which is, I mean, comparatively, comparatively speaking, 
you know, a semester at CSUN isn't that expensive compared to like a UCLA or UCSB. But it's so, still a lot. But it's it's still a, you know it's not you know chump change or anything like that. So it's it's definitely a lot a big portion to pay you know twice a year. As for how it affects his personal life. So it's it's been hard, but that so being diagnosed has you know slowed my my education path down considerably. It's uh, cost me a lot more money, and um, it's just delayed life in general. You know I haven't been able to do things that have friends you know that are married have kids you know moving on with the careers and i've just kind of been relegated to the background and his health i was i was in the hospital for like 45 days or something like that just getting round after round of chemo um and i went through the processes of, of what every cancer patient probably goes through you know a lot of nausea a lot of you know throwing up um a lot of just wanting to be sleeping uh the hair loss thing that was that was a lot tougher than I thought it'd be. When, you, when I started losing my hair, I was in the shower and then like, you know, using shampoo and then I moved my hand away. I noticed that my hand is just covered with hair. It's just, and then I, and I started going like this, and I'm, you know, trying to pull out the hair with my with both my hands and it's just coming out and it just, and I wouldn't stop. And I looked out at the shower and it's just covered with hair. You know, when I, I finished my shower and I go out to to my room and I look in the mirror and and I just see my hair just like halfway gone like just incredibly thin hair and it, it struck me a lot harder than I thought it would you know because you know I'm a guy I mean you know if you have a shaved head and it's not as big of a deal as say like a girl would feel probably but it did it, 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 it struck a chord I guess things didn't get any easier in the hospital post-diagnosis either and the cancer wasn't the only thing that could have killed him one day I had a fever you know and and I was not feeling good at all but luckily it they broke the fever and it was good so the next morning my nurse comes in and says you know we need to give you some more fluids because of the fever you had yesterday so she starts pumping me with fluids like at a really fast rate and um i don't know like within seconds of me getting the fluids i noticed my lungs start closing up and uh i, I tell her like i, I motioned to her that I, I can't breathe can't say anything and I was just like kind of gesturing like you know I can't breathe and then she looks at me and then just like this fear comes over her face and I remember her like running to the to the to my, my, my room uh, the door for my room she just flings it open she just like slams this button and then within like seconds my room is just filled doctors and nurses and equipment and then they're asking me questions and I'm sitting there like I can't talk to you guys I can't breathe um, and then, and then I know that, so what happens is like, they start wheeling me out of my room and then as they're wheeling me out of my room, there's this doctor that's by the nurse's station and he comes over and he has this needle in his hand and he just jams it right into the left side of my arm and he just squeezes it and then just, just like air fills my lungs. And then I, I'm, I'm assuming it was like adrenaline or something, but he, yeah, so he basically like cleared up my, my my airways with you know after I had been like maybe 30 seconds without breathing or something and then then they wheeled me down to the ICU and um, that's where the ICU doctor took over and he kind of started explaining to me what had happened that it was the infection they had a staph infection in that port that they had implanted probably like a, a day or two earlier um, so like I was just in shock and you know I was obviously crying and the doctor was like yeah like 
you know, and basically he's like, you, you could have just died, you know, upstairs. And it's, it's a good thing that we got it in time. So within a few weeks of me having cancer, I, you know, brushed up against death. And, and uh, I just couldn't talk. I just was just scared. So I, I spent the next few days in the ICU. And then they removed the port. And they f- f- fixed me with a line in my neck because I still needed to get chemo. So they put a line in my neck for like a day or two. And then after that, they went and implanted a second port on my left side of my chest. So I have a second one here. And, um, yeah, and luckily that one was, was okay. It healed up nicely, no infections. And then they removed the line that was in my neck. And, you know, just chemo progressed. You know, I lost my hair. They gave me steroids, which is part of the chemo treatment. I didn't know that was. But, you know, my face kind of ballooned up. I started retaining a lot of weight and started swollen, really. And, yeah, so I left the hospital, like, first week of December. I came back uh, a couple weeks later, and then by January, by January, I had undergone, like, three rounds of chemotherapy, and they did another bone marrow biopsy, so they took another piece of my my hip bone out, and another piece of my um, bone marrow, and they tested it, and luckily, it came back you know, negative, like I was in remission. So that that's technically the first time I survived cancer. And and yeah, that's that's how it went. It was you know, I said it seemed a lot longer in the moment, but now that I think about it, you know, it was a short period of maybe three, four months. So Brian Zamora successfully fought cancer. From here he wait, wait, did he say first time? Till December thirteenth, I wanna say is when I found out that I had relapsed, which is where cancer had come back. The bone, mar- the bone marrow transplant had failed, and I was no longer in remission. It hadn't even been an entire year of remission when Brian's doctor told him his leukemia had returned. He was only beginning to readjust to life when he found out and had gone back to work as a pizza delivery driver. He had even signed up for classes at CSUN again. And everything was going so well that I had signed up to come back to CSUN in spring of 2014. And I had paid for my classes and everything. I was ready. And then, you know, about a month before semester starts, I find out that I had, you know, relapsed. But here's Brian saying something about delivering pizza that you have probably never heard anybody delivering pizza say out loud. I, I don't know why, but the, mo- the day I, the first day I came back, I felt so genuinely happy to be delivering pizzas. Uh, and it's so it's so weird to say, like, you know, it's just a regular job or anything, but when, when, when you had your life thrown into this situation and almost taken away from you, the most, like, mundane thing just seems so awesome. You know, I get to go to work today. That's so cool. This excitement would be short-lived, and he had to leave his job again when he formally received a diagnosis of his relapse. A month before he was supposed to start at CSUN again, he was trading his class schedule for another hospital stay. And this time, he needed a bone marrow transplant. What I didn't realize at the time is that finding a bone marrow donor is incredibly difficult. People who need a bone marrow transplant, you know, they have to find a donor, and most of the times that they find a donor, that donor is going to be of a similar ethnic background. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Mexican-American, so 
more often than not, someone who's going to donate to me is also going to be Mexican-American or of Hispanic heritage. So, when I, I did, what I didn't realize at the time is that Hispanic people have somewhere around a 50% chance of finding a donor, which is, you know, you know like a flip of a coin. And to find one, not just find one within a month, but find one that was like perfect, you know, was incredibly rare. His transplant, however, had failed. Throughout the years, he's seen countless doctors and had stints in numerous hospitals. Despite the longer sound clips in these interviews that I usually edit in, I've still glossed over a lot of the more minute details such as these. By this time, Brian was on his fourth doctor, his third hospital trip, and a need for a second transplant. But I had a new doctor, and he felt that since I had just gotten a transplant, he didn't want to give me a second transplant because it's such a dangerous procedure. After the transplant, Brian slowly transitioned back to a normal life, started his job again, was able to see friends. He was able to start classes again. It was a level of normalcy he craved but hadn't truly experienced in years at this point. So from March of 2014 through December of 2017, everything was great. He even managed to find a job that paid better than pizza delivery through a friend. I had a friend that worked at a, you know, typical corporate, like, or not, like office type job. So I told him, you know, like, I'm ready to move on from, you know, delivering pizzas. I want to have more, a more adult job. And he actually was really great, and he was able to get me a job at where he worked. It was around this time that he changed his major from photography to business. Part of this was out of feeling of being jaded with photography, but the other reason... What I found out was that that job offered to pay for uh, my education or their employees' education so long as it had something to do with business. And, you know, I was still a student at CSUN, and you, know, you can't say no to free education, you know? So I, I changed it because it was still art at the time, and I decided, well, I need something that's business-related and something that I might be interested in. Interested in. So I chose marketing because I felt that might be a, a creative route to, you know, it might be a creative outlet in the business world. Brian finally finished his first semester at CSUN after four years. To say this was a massive accomplishment would be an intense understatement. Everything was good, finally. But you've probably noticed that this episode isn't almost over. Fortunately for Brian, he was able to finish a fair amount of his schooling at CSUN before he relapsed. He had just finished a week of finals shortly before going in for a normal checkup. At the time, he only had a few units left to graduate. Once again, his life was on hold. He changed doctors again. He changed hospitals again. He missed a semester of school again. Things worked fast, and Brian had a new marrow transplant by June of 2018, but this was still his third brush with cancer. For what it's worth, he's been relatively upbeat about it. So I got the transplant June 1st of 2018. And today is November 7th, 2019. I'm still in remission and things have still been going good. I've been able to come back to CSUN for a full year now. You know, I, I came back in spring of 2019. I did that, I did that semester, I did summer 2019. And now we're close to finishing up fall 2019, so I've been able to make some progress in my academic career. That's all I've been wanting to do. He spent six months in recovery prior to returning to CSUN. Unfortunately, he lost the job that granted him the money to return, so everything he's doing is out of pocket now. 
Brian Zamora is a fighter and an incredibly humble young man for someone who stared at death so closely so many times. The biggest surprise about meeting him is what keeps him going. I'm just as normal as, any, as anybody else. And that, and normality is, is severely, severely under, undervalued. You know, because when, when, you, when you think about what, what, what the alternatives are, it's, you know, being in good health takes precedence over everything else. After graduation, Brian wants to get a job and catch up on all of the life he feels he missed out on. So I keep telling him throughout the interview that it's not about catching up. We all have our own pace in life without any real path that we have to follow. But then he says something that makes me realize it's not just about the normal adult things like having a job or getting married. And I know you said that I don't, I don't have to catch up to anybody, but I feel like I want to make up for lost time, even if I'm not catching up per se to my friends. I just want to be able to do things, you know? I just want to go somewhere without having to think about did I bring all my medicine or am I okay to travel, you know, stuff like that. It's, I just want to do things. Which leads me to the second most surprising thing about Brian, how little he's let any of this deter him from his education. He has a few more classes, including a few he needs to take in the summer, but after seven years of starts and stops, Brian Zamora is finally going to get his bachelor's degree in spring 2020. That's the same semester I'm supposed to graduate. I'm really close to graduating, so I'm hoping it, it continues so I can you know, walk with you, you know, next semester. You're aiming to graduate spring 2020? Yeah, I, I still have a few, like, two or three classes to do in the summer, but I'll be able to walk in the spring. And Yeah, I, sometimes I think about it and it gets really emotional, but... But, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it'll, be, it'll be great. It'll be In the middle of our conversation, Brian and I had a personal aside about why exactly his story spoke to me so much that I'm not going to share the exact details of here. Sorry. This is his story, not mine. But it's a conversation that got me to thinking about how cancer isn't just a singular issue that affects the person. It affects the partner, the mother, the father, the family, the community, the city, the home. I'm not exactly a spiritual person, but it wouldn't be unfair to say that it is an absolute blessing for anybody to survive a cancer diagnosis, let alone three. For as much of the credit can be given to a higher power or Brian's own resilience, though, there's one important thing he credits with his survival multiple times. So to close this episode off, I'll let him explain. But basically what Be The Match does, it, it helps people who need a bone marrow transplant they help them find donors. And the way they do that is relying on people to sign up to their, to their national registry and be willing to donate, you know, stem cells from their body to someone who needs it, like me. And as I mentioned before, you know, people who are, people who are in need of a, of a transplant are more than likely going to find, like, they're, they're, the person that's going to match them is going to be of a, of a similar ethnic background. And, um... I was lucky. I found not one, but two. You know, because I had the two transplants. Uh, people who were perfect matches and willing to donate to me, and that's just to find one is 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 difficult. To find two and find them relatively quickly in the search process is amazing. It's incredible. It's you know almost a miracle. Thanks for listening to Sunspotting. For more stories like these, you can search for the Sunspotting on the sundial.csun.edu or Search for the Daily Sundial Sunspotting on Apple Music, 
Spotify, or any other podcatcher. Be sure to check out and contribute in any way you can to Be The Match at bethematch.org. For The Sundial, this has been Jed Bookout.